very word of God. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our boys and girls who are here tonight, you know, when they, they learn how to write, they're often given paper that if you get a, a either a sheet of it or if you get a, a whole notebook full of it, it'll, especially when it's a whole notebook full of it, it'll say in the front, ruled paper. And that's not because it's somehow subordinate to some authority. That's not what we're talking about when we're saying it's ruled paper. It's, it's a kind of a paper that gives guidance to those who are writing in those pages uh, in such a way so that uh, it keeps your words straight as you write. Sometimes for all of us, you know, we're writing on a on an envelope, and we got to put on there, you know, internal revenue service or whatever it might be. And sometimes it wants to go up like this, and sometimes it wants to go down like that because we're not, it's not ruled paper, right? It doesn't have those lines of guidance that keeps our words straight or uh, keeps them from getting too big or maybe even too small. Sometimes, well, boys and girls will use a ruler, they want to make some straight lines, and then they're trying to do that with their own pencil, and it just doesn't seem to work. But you get that ruler out, and voila, now all of a sudden you're able to do what was so hard, and you can make it easier, because that straight line can be made with the tool of the ruler. Well, the Bible's like that. The Bible's like the lines on the page, and the rulers that we use. Because the Bible lines things up straightly for us. It's a rule for us. It shows us the straight way that we must go. Finding on that path that Jesus is the way of salvation and showing us that rule of life that he wants us to live in light of his salvation. Sometimes call that rule the canon. And that's a word to our boys and girls, they hear the word canon, they might be thinking about something that shoots off cannonballs, like some kind of weapon. Well, the word is a weapon, but it's the sword of the Spirit. It's a word that means rule, or keeping something straight. Some of you are our contractors, or you, you're carpenters, or whatever your, your, your work might be with construction, how important it is that when you're doing things, you do so, where everything is straight and plump. Well, that's what the scriptures are. They're straight, they're true. So when we call the Bible our canon, or its books canonical, we're speaking very highly about the Bible as our rule for faith and life. It alone can straighten us out. It professes, professes a very high view of Scripture, whether it's talking about its content, its authority, or its sufficiency. And we're going to focus on that tonight, about that high view of Scripture in terms of what's its content, or what defines it, uh, what's, it it's, what's its authority all about, and then also the last thing would be looking at its sufficiency. So we first of all focus on Scripture's content, or its de definition, what defines it. 
looking at the Bible's content is about recognizing what books belong to the Bible and which ones do not. We can be so used to understanding what goes into a Bible that we don't always think about why it is that those books fall into the category of biblical and canonical literature. And sometimes we don't even think about the fact, of course, that in times past, uh, that wasn't always in people's minds as clearly as it should have been. Yet that's a very important definition to understand. It was back in the times when the Belgian Confession was written, and it's certainly true today that way. Because when we don't recognize them as we ought to recognize them, disobedience gets in the way, chaos starts to uh, rear its ugly head, and instead of knowing the benefits of the word, we find ourselves going down wrong paths that lead us into all kinds of problems and trouble. So when we talk about the 66 books that are contained in the Old and the New Testament, we're talking about books that have been widely recognized over the years to be considered canonical. They are works that have been recognized for their value and importance for centuries. Most of the Old Testament books, with few exceptions, have been quoted in the New Testament. The New Testament, with few exceptions, was written by people who were either apostolic or they were closely tied to the apostolic witness of the risen and saving and reigning Jesus Christ. And as time elapsed, the church of Jesus Christ, by the working of the Holy Spirit, came to see the quality and the value and the unity and the in integrity of the 27 books of the New Testament and how they harmonized with the previous 39 books that were written in the Old Testament. Books that didn't harmonize with those 66 were spurious, they lacked integrity or quality, and they were not added to these 66 books. And while a declaration of the 66 books as the canonical books was not made official uh, on a church level, uh, until the late 4th century, the books themselves were utilized in a canonical way way before that, from the time of the early church and beyond. Confession speaks about the apocryphal books, or the hidden books, as they can be called. Hidden because that term apocryphal, you can see that word maybe crypt in there, Right, which reminds you of a, of, of, of a place of burial, a place that's hidden. The term refers to a, a writing's origin, which was unknown, or it was hidden, or a term that was used for records that were concealed, or to writings that were written uh, from general circulation, withdrawn, I should say, from that even to the point of secretly depositing them, burying them that way. The apocryphal books are, are books that are viewed by Protestants, by people of the Reformation that way, as 
non-canonical books because for various reasons of integrity and harmony and value or combination of those reasons, these books don't measure up to the other 66. In various ways and means they may have some kind of profitability to them, just like any human document might have. Uh, sometimes when you see some of those things, uh, there's even been people who've done, do, who've done word studies and then they go, well, there's some words that are in some of those texts that we can use to help us understand what a word means. And so there, there's like a lot of human documents, there's a, a measure, there's a kind of profitability that you might derive from them but never to the standard that the canonical books may have. It's important to view the scriptures in this definitive kind of way. That when you're talking about your faith and your life and your rule that you follow, <coughs> that you have some definition, that you have some way of being able to define the content. That there are 66 books to which none are to be added, nor should any of the 66 be subtracted. And so they're unique books, which are not for our tinkering or our picking over or our picking and choosing what we like out of them. Maybe at times that we have to make changes to confessional statements that's a rarity where that happens. Or we refine them or we, we add to them to further clarify what we believe. We see that happening over the history of the church. But those are rare times when there's anything that gets done that way. They happen because confessional statements, if they do happen... It's because they're human responses to divine truth. They aren't the word of God themselves. Uh, it gets back to that whole idea too, of course, right? That some people say, well, I, I don't have any creed but Christ. But, but you can't get away from creeds, right? So that's a creed in itself. <laughs> it's a creed in itself, right? We're a confessional people, but sometimes because the documents that are written are human documents and not the Word of God, then sometimes refinement happens. It happens more in, let's say, in church orders, uh, where church orders get, get refined. Uh, as churches may overture, for instance, they'll send a note like from within our own churches. We see something like, let's say, uh, you want to deal with the issue of membership departure, which we've had as an issue in our churches over the course of the number of years that I've been in the Federation. Well, somebody might say, we ought to do this, that, and the other thing, and that will help to clarify what we're doing in this article. And then people talk about it, and they decide whether that's a good idea or not. But, but those things can be, those articles can be rephrased, they can be removed, they can be refined, they can add to them. And again, that happens because they're human documents. And they're written in response to the scriptures by those who make Christian confessions. And then you can get on a local level where church policies are made, which vary from church to church as well. Like what time is what time is your morning service? What time is your Sunday school? What time you know? How many people are you going to have in your council? Uh, 
and you have these various rules that are, are made that, that reflect the circumstances that can differ from place to place. And that happens because such rules are the rules of men, those kind of changes that can be made. They're not the rules of God that don't change. That divine changelessness is what we understand when we confess the 66 books is canonical. They're, they're not books that can be doctored or eliminated or supplemented because to do so would be to, to, to doctor the harmony and the reliability and the accuracy and the authority and the sufficiency of this canon, this rule that is straight for faith and for practice. Now, of course, that kind of doctrine occurs. Right? The apocryphal books are considered on par with the 66 in the Catholic Church. Uh, people may not explicitly remove portions of God word, God's Word from their Bible, but they will conveniently ignore them as irrelevant for the day. There are those who add books to the Scriptures to supplement beyond the Apocryphal, like the Latter-day Saints do. Right? With their Book of Mormon and with their Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. There are those who would say that other cultures have similar books of authority that are good for them. Judaism doesn't even acknowledge the New Testament, of course. Others who adhere to Islam wouldn't recognize the scriptures at all, as followers of the Quran. And some would see the variety of sacred pagans, pages of, of religion to be all on the same plane. You just It's like going to Baskin-Robbins. 31 flavors. Go and pick your flavor of religion. Pick your choice of scripture. And everything will be alright. There are others who still who would wish to supplement these pages with the traditions of men on the, on the one hand that, that draw from the past or the words of modernity uh, of the words of the charismatic uh, for, of today, who would say, I'm, I'm hearing this voice from God right now, you better listen to me. But the Reformed Confession has been definitive for a purpose. And its confession should not be taken for granted or overlooked. It ought to be, as even the Confession says, the church needs to confess this. 66 books define the written word of God, and such will be the case for all time until the Lord returns. Not so much because the church judges that to be, but because Scripture judges itself to be that way. And the Holy Spirit who breathed out the word of God has illumined the church, has illumined believers to understand this to be so. It is, after all, the scriptures that define the church of Christ and stand in judgment over her, and it is not the other way around. And because there is this definitive scripture, the church is able to make a secure confession, then, of the scripture's authority in the life of the church. And that's also something that, that we confess, and that gets to our second point. You need to have a 
the scriptures have to be defined, but the scriptures have to be seen then as authority, authoritative. And so in the fifth article of the Confession, the, the church declares in line of the word that we receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical for the regulation, the foundation, and the confirmation of our faith. And here again, which is, again, if you're looking at Hebrews 4, you know, the, the word of God was not being that way for people in the past. It needed to be. It needed to be, that for those who had the gospel in the Old Testament version, it needed to be that way in the gospel in the New Testament version. And where that wasn't happening, there was going to be trouble. But here again, we see the uniqueness of the scriptures to all other human documents. When we don't permit ourselves the sinful liberty of doctoring the closed canon, then we don't have to worry about dealing with contradictions in Scripture that will misinform us about matters of faith and practice. Scripture's authority is for the regulation of our faith. Scripture's in its totality lays out the norm for who God is, who Jesus is, what love is, what human beings are, the way to salvation, the way to life, what's good, what's good living, what's bad living, what we should be promoting, what should be our priorities, and what we should be shunning. And not only that, but Scripture is the foundation of the faith, which the Scriptures used to bring people to salvation. No other human document or, or human innovation is going to be able to accomplish that and for us. It's a high view of Scripture. If we try to add or subtract from this sacred book, we're doing that to our peril of those who need this word and its good news, which they had in the Old Testament, which we have in the New Testament, to bring, become wise unto salvation. And then it's also meant to be used to confirm us in the faith. It regulates, it founds us, it confirms us. And whether it has to do with founding faith or confirming faith, a high view of Scripture realizes that the Word of God, used by the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, can cut, like our passage says, people to the heart. It's able to slice like a spiritual blade, the sword of the Spirit, into places where no human implement can slice. It can divide between soul and spirit. It can slice into the heart where the issues of life reside. You know, verse 12 again. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It can change that heart. It can expose that heart. It can soften that heart. It can lay bare its sinfulness so that it will turn from its wickedness to Christ. And a different way, a new way, a changed way, the right way to live. Nothing else can touch the human heart like that. And so when it's ministered, that's a 
when the, when the word is minister, it's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big event, All right? Now, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, you can get drawn to certain things that are are remarkable, right? Or, or that are famous. Few of us had a chance to go and hear the United States Marine Corps band on Wednesday, and that's just not something that it was over at Dort University. And, you know, that's just not something that happens every day, right? And so, you know, you're heading on over there, and and you're about to arrive. You know, I wonder how many people are actually going to show up for this thing. <clears throat> and you and you come over there, and there's a line outside of the building waiting to get in to hear the band. And that doesn't that didn't really surprise me. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a fellow by the name of Tim Tebow, and I don't know if he's coming into town uh, or he's been in town or he's coming into Sioux Center. Now, that's a famous name. Now, He's a Christian man, and that's something you appreciate about him. But you can bet that that, in fact, they can even charge people to come and hear him. Right? But the ministry of the Word of God should have people backing out the door trying to get in to hear it. Not because of the person who's, who's preaching it, but because of the Word of God itself. Because if, if you want to go and see something or hear something that only can be done by a, by a few or, or is unique that way, certainly picking up and having the Word ministering to you, have it ministered to you, is a remarkable event. Because it can, it can touch your heart. In fact, it does touch hearts. Right? It, and nothing's like it that way. Nothing else can, can confront a human heart that way. Nothing else has that kind of authority to speak to the human condition like the Scriptures do. Members who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ and true faith respect the, the authority of the Word that way. They're, they're not going to call into doubt the testimony of that Word as if she knows God's way and, and God's Word better than God does. And would particularly not do that when it comes to the promises that He makes to her that are yes and amen in Christ. Unlike other sacred writings which hold no integrity or, or whose prophecies hold no water or have never come to pass, the church conveys that even the very blind are able to perceive that what God has prophesied has come to pass and in no greater shape or form than in the person of Jesus Christ. His salvation and, and His Lordship. There isn't anything phony about the Word. There's nothing fabricated Nothing that's been done in a corner. 
no desire to have the wool pulled over people's eyes. Nothing that has been verified hasn't been verified in accordance with the laws of verification. It's a witness of reliability and certainty and dependability, and it's to be respected. And it's not because, not simply because it's a valid testimony made of men, but by men sent in the name of the triune God himself. And so it's, it's to be held up highly that way, isn't it? It's to be highly valued. It's a definitive canon. It's an authoritative canon. It's, it's also a sufficient canon because it is a definitive canon. Uh, perhaps this is the most gnarling issue of our day and age. But it was also in the time of the Reformation like that. We believe that these holy scriptures fully contain the will of God and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. That's not what the Catholic King Philip II believed of Spain, who ruled over the lowlands, who ruled over what is uh, present-day Belgium and the Netherlands and Luxembourg. Because his Catholic leadership said that the apocryphal books and the traditions of the church supplemented the scriptures and needed to do that. Contentment with Scripture is that which is God-breathed that can make the man of God complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work is elusive to a ton of people. And it's why a confession like this one in the Belgian Confession, Article 7, shouldn't be kicked to the back of the bus. Or isn't something that should be simply looked at and say, you know what, this... This is a good idea. This is a decent idea. No, it, it's essential for the Christian faith. I mean, if the word can cut to the heart of issues, why do you need anything else? We sometimes talk about that with some of the children and or young people and or other places in in, uh, in, in instruction. You say, well. I can't use the Bible to... doesn't tell me how I can change a tire. No, but it tells you how you ought to do it. Not in the sense of, you know, you got to get off the jack and you have to get a new tire. And, but it tells you that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. And in that way, it does tell you how to change a tire. Yet people aren't content with that word that way. Many would like to say, well, would, would rather not say, like we said last week when we sang it, what more can he say than to you he has said? They, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to sing that. <clears throat> now whether it, comes, whether it comes to matters of salvation, matters of obedience, matters of worship, people would rather add or take away from the Scripture. We make that, that point too. Since the whole manner of worship which God requires us is written in them at large, it's unlawful for anyone, though an apostle, to teach otherwise. So people would, will look to the charismatic for insights from God, or they'll look to, for statements from the Pope that are made in the chair, what they call very fancily ex cathedra, when he's 
sitting in the throne. And he makes a statement that's to be seen as, in, as infallible. Or they'll look to the majority. The way we hear it here is it talks about the great multitude. So we get most people on our side, they must be right. That's how a lot of people like to do their moralism. Let's take a poll. Let's take a CBS poll, right? Oh, this is what most people think about this. That must be what it is. What is is what ought to be. The people make the rules. Or they look to succession of times and persons. What does that mean? Well, we live in a new day and age now. We're a lot smarter now. We've evolved over time. So, so this is how we do things now, because we're modern people. And then they say, well, we can't, the scriptures aren't going to help us because they're old. They're not sufficient with matters of whatever salvation is for me, or whatever worship is for me, or, or whatever service is for me, or whatever love means to me. But when the scriptures aren't sufficient for us, they, then we're missing out on a transformed life, aren't we? We're missing out on salvation. We're spiritually distracted. We're, our priorities in the wrong place. And then when all that happens, it, is it any wonder that people's lives go into the tank? Because people don't really think that Scripture is profitable for them. That's what Hebrews warns here. We really think that God has left us in the dark. Or he's not worth listening to. We do that in hardness of heart. Instead of looking at the, the scriptures as a lamp to our feet and light to our path. We've, we've confessed a low view of the word. I'm not going to use the scriptures to make my point. I, I'm going to use sentiment. I'm going to use the day and age in which we live. But certainly not the scriptures. That's not our calling as a church. It's not our calling as believers. Believers in what? Ourselves? The majority? Modernity? Now we confess a definitive canon, an authoritative scripture, and a scripture that's sufficient to declare to us the way of salvation in Jesus Christ and the way we ought to live for him in light of that. God's church in Christ, thankfully, that's what it'll do. God's church, thankfully, the church that he's called to himself, are always going to make that confession by God's Spirit. And may we always strive to find ourselves part of that church all our lives. That first for God's glory. And then after that for our salvation. Our peace of heart. 
for our benefit as we seek to serve our God and serve those around us. Amen.